Now, move forward in time 100 years from 1863 to 1963 and go to the steps of, fitting enough, the Abraham Lincoln Memorial. And there on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 stood a young preacher and leader of the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King. Now we have an image of Dr. King on the screen today. And this is not meant to be controversial. It's not meant to be provocative. It's certainly not meant to be offensive in any way. But we've just come off of celebrating earlier in the week Dr. King's holiday. And how many pictures did you see of Dr. King speaking to the masses? How many pictures did you see of him looking off into the distance with this stirring quote like next to him, right? Perfect for Pinterest, right? (laughs) And that's important and that's inspiring and I love those images and that's a part of who of of who he is in our memory. But listen, don't ever lose this picture. Don't ever lose this image because it reminds us of the cost and the courage and the fact that this is a person who bore the weight of injustice so that other people could experience justice. Let's don't ever forget that. Back to the story, 1863, there he stands and he has delivered the incredible, the, 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 the speech that we all remember him by, t- entitled what? No, I mean 1963, sorry. <laughs> Good job, you guys are paying attention. <laughs> I have a dream, there it is, awesome. Here's the deal, guys, I'm coming off a week of, of being knocked out by the flu that turned into bronchitis, so anything that is connecting today, let's give glory and praise to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Anything that doesn't make sense, blame it on the drugs, all right? Okay, awesome. So, 1963, here we are, Dr. King delivering the speech. Say it again. I have a dream. Exactly. Except for the fact that if you go back and look at the notes that he had prepared for that day, the words, I have a dream, were nowhere in his transcript. They weren't there. That was not part of anything that he had planned to say. He had a different speech prepared, and he was working all the way through that that speech. But earlier throughout the year, he had begun to develop this theme of, I have a dream. And he he had preached at other places. He had talked about it at other places. And his friend, gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, had heard him talk about the dream before. And she was there. She was a performer that day at the March on Washington. And she's sitting off behind him to his left. And as he's getting to the conclusion of his speech, she's liking what he has to say. But she's thinking to herself, this is not this is not it. It's got to be more. And so she starts to speak to him. And from the platform there, she says to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And you can see it in the film footage where Dr. King hears that and he goes off script and he begins to talk from the depth of his soul and the depth of his heart. And I have a dream is the speech that flows out of him. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day our children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, 
moving, powerful, and we still hang on those words today. We do. Because there's nothing like the power of a compelling vision. There's nothing like the power of a compelling vision, something that you can see, something that you can hang on to, something that resonates with your hopes and dreams about who we can become because it's who we were made and designed to be. And as much as I love Abraham Lincoln and as much as I love Dr. King, there is no moment in history, no moment in history that even comes close to when Jesus opens his mouth and begins to deliver a vision of the kingdom of God. And for 2,000 years, what Jesus has said about the kingdom of God has turned the world upside down. I love American history. I love this vision of who America can become, but it doesn't even come close to the vision of something that is far greater than a nation an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus's vision of the kingdom. Now, through this series, The Heart, we've been talking about what it means to love Chapel Hill. That's our mission, right? To love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Now, most of us, as we've repeated constantly, you can repeat that. If I asked you, what's our mission? You would say, Love Chapel Hill, right? Our name is our mission. But that second part is the most important part of it because it sets the course for how we do that. It designs how we love Chapel Hill, and that is with the heart of Jesus. It has to be rooted in that. It has to be rooted in that. And that is the only thing that we are trying to flow out of, out of the heart of Jesus. As we've talked before, Here's what the heart of Jesus looks like. As you study through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus is marked by this intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. He's anchored in it. His identity is in it. It goes all the way throughout the Gospels. So intimately tied in this relationship with the Father. And he calls us into that relationship with him through a relationship with him to have this relationship with the father intimacy with the father the second piece we talked about last week is led by the spirit led by the spirit we see that jesus was led by the spirit out into the wilderness and then it says that in in luke chapter four there first it says he's led out into the wilderness by the spirit and then it says he returns in the power of the spirit and you and i have to remember If you want to live in the power of the Spirit, then you must be led by the Spirit. If you want to live in the power of the Spirit, then you must live in obedience to the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, as Paul says. That's how you'll experience the power of the Spirit within you. We see that Jesus models that for us. And now today, the third part, Jesus has a vision of the kingdom. Jesus has a vision of the kingdom and the vision that you and I have of the kingdom doesn't matter compared to what he says. So we have to look at what Jesus says and then as a church, try to model that and try to live out of that. Let's start um, in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. What it says. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This is how Jesus begins his message about the kingdom. Now, most scholars agree that the book of Mark is the first of the Gospels to be written. Okay, you can, you can see as you study the books of Matthew and, the, and, and Luke that they draw heavily on the stories of Mark. And Mark is kind of this cornerstone gospel, and about 80 to 90% of Mark actually shows up in Matthew and in Luke. And so it's believed that Mark was the earliest gospel that the Christians were circulating around, were, were digging into. And so Mark and Luke lean on Mark. Um, Matthew and Luke lean on Mark as they are writing their gospels as well. Okay, so this is this cornerstone. It's the first of the gospels. And right here in the first chapter, right at the very beginning, the first thing we see about the ministry of Jesus is he comes declaring that the kingdom is now. Number one, the kingdom is now. The time has come, he says, to a nation of people who've been waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of God. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, the time has come. Your waiting and your longing has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand now now repent and believe the good news repent and believe the good news there is a door to the kingdom there is a door into the kingdom of God and it is Jesus Christ it is Jesus Christ now for many of you today you have longed for what is about to happen right now There's been a hunger in your heart. There's been something that has been missing in your life and you've searched for it in every corner. You've searched for it in so many ways. There's been a hunger in you. There's been something missing in you and you've been longing for it. But Jesus is saying to you today, the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is now. The door is open and Jesus Christ is is inviting you in. Jesus Christ is inviting you into a relationship with him. What he's asking of you right now is this. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. What does repent mean? I mean, that seems like a really churchy word, and you see people like with the sandwich boards, right? Repent, the end of the world is upon us, right? No. Here's Here's the idea. Here's what's wrapped up. In that word repent, it simply means to turn, to turn. That means to turn away from your life of sin and to turn towards life in Jesus Christ. It means to turn away from your old life and to turn to your new life who is Jesus Christ. And for some of you guys right now, the kingdom is now. The kingdom is now. Is there anybody in the room right now that is feeling that drawing 
that is feeling that tugging on your heart. You feel like it's time to turn. It's time to turn and to embrace Jesus. You've tried everything else, but it's time to turn and embrace Jesus. If that's you, then I'm going to ask you to do something pretty courageous. Simply raise your hand right now. Amen. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Amen. Fantastic. God is good. God is good. Here's the deal. If that's you and you did that, then there's cards in your seats. Fill out one of those cards. Put your name on it. There's a box there that says, I want to know about following Jesus. Check that box and make sure that it gets either in the offering or to me before you leave today so that we can talk about what just happened in your life. Welcome to the kingdom. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is now. Amen. Amen. As Jesus continues with his vision (coughs) of what the kingdom is like, he says this. The kingdom, first of all, is now, and you enter into the kingdom through Jesus. But he goes on, and he says something more. Not only do you enter into the kingdom, but Jesus says the kingdom enters into you. So the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Here's what Jesus has to say about that. In Luke chapter 17, there's this moment where the Pharisees are asking him a question. We all know the Pharisees, they're the experts in the law. They are the religious elite, and they're always asking Jesus questions most of the time, trying to trap him. But they ask him this question, and it's an honest question. It's an honest question, especially when you think about where they are coming from. They say this, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, the Pharisees had been waiting for the arrival of the kingdom. They had been studying the law, the ancient prophets, the scriptures, so that they would be ready when the kingdom arrived. They believed God's promise that he would send a great leader who would establish his kingdom again. And so they were waiting and they were longing. They were studying the scriptures They were looking through it. They were debating with each other. They were theorizing over what this is going to look like. Almost every possible answer they had wrestled with. Except this one that Jesus gives. Because Jesus shows up. And they had expected a chosen one like Abraham. Or a deliverer like Moses. Or a king like David. But Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and it shocks them. And they are not prepared for this because God himself comes to them. All of the common people knew that there was something incredibly special about Jesus. They were drawn to him. They could sense the authority and the power of God all over him. They knew something was going on. So they were drawn to him and they began to ask the question, is this the one? Could this be the one that we have been waiting for? But there was one problem. Jesus was in no way a likely candidate for this role because they expected for the kingdom to look like the kingdom of Israel had looked 
before. They were looking for a political leader who could come in and who could overthrow the power structures of Rome. Rome was in this oppressive rule over them. They were looking for this kind of king, for this kind of political leader to show up. They were looking to Jerusalem. When is he going to come and establish it again at Jerusalem? But instead, they got this answer that they never expected. Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come by your careful observation. I know how much you've studied. I know how much you've theorized. I know all of the ideas. But the kingdom of God is right beneath your nose because the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. This is a kingdom that is not marked by boundaries or borders. This is a kingdom that is not seized by armies or aggression. This or every other kingdom that we have ever known is built on this idea. The servant must be willing to die for the king. But in this backwards and upside down, greatest of all kinds of reversals in this kingdom, the king lays down his life for the servants. This is a backwards kind of kingdom. And you cannot find it in Jerusalem, he says. Don't look to that throne. Look within you because the kingdom of God is within you. Because our hearts are empty thrones that are longing for the king to take his place. Our hearts are empty thrones that are longing for the king to take his place. Has the king taken up his place on his throne in your heart? The kingdom is now and the kingdom is here. The kingdom is within you. The kingdom is within you. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus goes on and he begins um, to tell parables about what the kingdom is like. Um, In many cases, this is how Jesus describes to us the reality of the kingdom. And he tells these incredible parables, these beautiful parables. He says, for instance, the kingdom of God is like a person who throws a banquet and invites all of his friends and invites all of these honored guests But many of them say, I can't make it. I've got other plans. I'm sorry, I won't be able to make it. And so the host then sends out the invitations to the least likely of people, the people who never make it onto the banquet invitation list. He rewrites the guest list and he says, go into the streets, go out into the countryside, bring everyone you can find. And the people who are normally last in line, put them at the seat of honor at my banquet. This is what it's like, Jesus says. He keeps telling these incredible stories. One of my favorite parables about the kingdom is this. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he says. This tiny thing that you don't expect anything out of, but when you plant 
the seed. The chief gardener cultivates it, nurtures it, sweats over it, toils over it, and raises up a tree with sprawling branches and branches that are full of all kinds of life, he says. How many of us hear those things about, well, the kingdom is now and the kingdom is here. It's within me. But what do I really have to bring to the kingdom? What do I have to bring to the kingdom? Nothing. Nothing. And isn't that so beautiful? Isn't that so beautiful that God takes our nothing and he plants it in the ground and he multiplies it through his power, through his movement, and it expands and it advances. The kingdom is, is now, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is advancing. And it will continue to grow and expand and advance until the king himself returns, until Jesus Christ comes back at the end of all things. The kingdom within us begins as a small mustard seed. But when the chief gardener gets his hands on it, Crazy things start to happen. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Every single person in the room this week, we're going to challenge you with this. What is your mustard seed? What is your mustard seed? Plant it. Plant it and see what kind of vision of the kingdom springs up from it. From our earliest days as a church, We have done these things that we like to call love missions. All right, love missions. Some people refer to them as random acts of kindness. No, we will not call it that. We won't call it that because there's nothing random about it. These are not random acts of kindness. These are intentional moves of love. And I want to challenge every single person who is in the room to enact a love mission over the course of, of this next week. You got seven days till you come back through that door. Seven days to plant a mustard seed and to see what God does with it. What are love missions? What do they look like? Well, it's like this. Uh, About five years ago, this time of year, uh, Justin and Jason had the idea that they wanted to get some warm coats and instead of just giving them to some charity, they wanted to give them directly to friends of ours on the street. And so one night we went out and we went into parking decks and we went into places where we knew people were sleeping and we took blankets and we took coats and we took other warm things and surprised some people and it was beautiful. And out of that, Strangely Warm has started. And now instead of just a few coats, this mustard seed worth of coats and hats and things like that, now every Sunday there's a rack out there And week after week, people come and they find a little bit of help there. And it's grown just from that, too. Merritt's Store and Grill. You guys know how much we love Merritt's. And over this past week, Merritt's collected coats for Strangely Warmed and gave away free coffee if you brought in a coat. So it's starting to spread. The PTA Thrift Shop contacted Justin recently and said, hey, we've got some extra warm uh, clothing. We want to give it to Strangely Warmed. That's powerful. Most people give to the thrift shop. Thrift shop gave to you guys. That's powerful, man. I love it. It's great. It's mustard seed that started to grow. What about for you? What can you do? 
Maybe with your small group, you want to do something. Get together with them. Maybe there's another group of friends you want to get together and do something. What can you do this week that will be a mustard seed vision of the kingdom? It's not a random act of kindness. It's an intentional move of love. And so often when people see that spring up in front of them, they begin to ask questions. It catches them off guard because it disrupts the normal patterns of their day. And suddenly they're faced with questions that maybe they haven't thought about in a little while. What would make that group of people do something like that? What is it for you guys? Get creative. Before uh, some people, our friend Janine, had a dream of of doing a, a peanut butter and jelly banquet out on Franklin Street. It was awesome. Great table of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and people were loving it. It was it was fantastic. Other people have taken flowers and, and put them in buckets and put them around and, 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 and left a message there. What about for you? I'm not talking about random acts of kindness. An intentional move of love. A surprising glimpse. A surprising look into the vision of the kingdom. What's your mustard seed? Every person in the room, I want to challenge you to do that. Now, some of you might be here for the very first time this week, Okay. And so for you guys, you're not off the hook either, all right? Y'all too, all right. It's not my fault you picked this week to to show up, okay? And we're glad you're here, by the way. Awesome. Join us in that. The last thing is this, and it's just final. John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. This is the most important of all. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is advancing. And finally, the kingdom is is his. The kingdom is his. The kingdom has a king and his name is Jesus. In this passage in John chapter 18, Jesus is standing there with Pilate, who is the power, most powerful person in that region in that day. And here they are toe to toe. And Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The kingdom is his. The kingdom is his. And that's why we want to shape everything that we do. Everything that we do. We want to shape it by who he is. We want to flow out of his heart. We do love Chapel Hill. We love Chapel Hill. But we always want to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus because that is the most pure and that is the most true and authentic kind of love that there is. Amen. God, thank you for your help today. Pray that you would take what you had to say and press it into our hearts today. Pray that you would help us to be this small group, 200 or whatever scattered mustard seeds this week. Let people catch a vision of what your kingdom is like. Let people be caught off guard and let questions start to spring up in them that they haven't thought of in a long time. And God... Above all else, we pray that you would be seen and you would receive the glory 
and that you would, as you always do, draw people into your heart. Draw people into your heart. Use us to be a part of that. So in your name we pray. Amen.